This is exactly right. Welcome to My Favorite Murder, the podcast. That's right. <laughs> the podcast uh, <laughs> that's true crime. It's comedy. It's coming at you live from the Exactly Right Studios uh, here in downtown Glendale. <laughs> that's Karen. It's on the Karen. razor's edge of Glendale. That's, uh, <laughs> that's Karen still. That's Georgia. Hard Stark over there. And listen, look, look we're trying. Uh, we... We've, we're now fresh off of two back-to-back weeks of touring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure, the guys in Def Leppard are saying, so what? Yeah. Fuck you, child. But they get whiskey. Nothing. All we get is fucking chicken fingers and sparkling <laughs> wine. If and that's I, if you're in a good spot. And that's if you are if you haven't drank all your drinks in the <laughs> 90s, which I did, and get nothing now. Yeah, I could, I could do touring for months at a time if I could just willy-nilly snort cocaine and ants. Sure. And all the things that those guys used to do. Did they snort ants? You never heard that story no. of like, it was when Ozzy Osbourne was on tour with, I think, Motley Crue. Yeah. And at one point, it might have been Ozfest or something, yeah, but yeah. at one point they got off a bus and Ozzy got down on the cement no. and snorted up a line of ants. <laughs> <laughs> like you only get so many snorts in your life, so why waste it on fucking critters? Because uh, maybe you're on a certain drug that makes critters seem so appealing, and it makes it so fun. You want to just make your friends laugh. Yeah, that's it's. She's just trying to impress Vince Neil, aren't we all? I mean, at the end of the day, that's all podcasts are. That's all any of us are doing. It's like look over yeah. here, Vince. NPR. We're on to Terry you. Glass. You know <laughs> that's who you want. You know you want him. We all do. Can I tell you a story, please, about my mom? Yes. Janet. Janet. Janet would often text me things saying, you're on the front page of the Yahoo News. <laughs> or uh, recently she, like shit like that. And recent, and I'd go to Yahoo News and I'm like, what are you fucking, like, there's nothing. What are you talking about? And I'd look for it and there's nothing. Or she'd be like, you're everywhere. I saw your book on whatever the fuck. Um, and then last week she texted me, uh, pigtails, just the word pigtails. <laughs> You're everywhere. So I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I finally talked to her and I think she doesn't remember the fact that she put my favorite murder as a, uh, what is it called? A search item. Yeah. So like every time there's a news thing, it comes up. An alert. <laughs> so she alert. So she just thinks that we're insanely famous <laughs> and just keep coming up on her Yahoo news. <laughs> she thinks we're the front page of Google. Again? Georgia. Pig- and so pigtails is the MFM animated, uh, the new, oh, yes. the new MFM animated. <laughs> Our little girl that with the gun and That's Nick right. Terry's beautiful, um, animation. Yeah. So she thinks that she said, you're everywhere wear pigtails <laughs> and I was like what are you and there was like a thing I made fun of her about on stage about like pigtails and how she'd be mad at me and it's like oh shit here it starts but but no no she, she's just going off those google alerts and I just don't think she knows so I, I'm gonna let her you just let her <laughs> and be like yeah if you don't want your name in one of those alerts Jan yeah you need to just tighten up your game that's right get a little more respectful can you please would you ever? How dare you? Um, what have you been doing since you got home from tour? <laughs> oh, I got foot surgery. Yeah, like how a real was asshole. it? Uh, it was not what I expected. 
Turns out general anesthesia <laughs> is not the same thing as local anesthesia. <laughs> no, it's the, I would say in medical, in the medical world, it's the opposite. General, but in general, general mm-hmm. sounds so chill. It's, yeah, it's almost like anesthesia from three feet back. Yeah, is it's what like, you're thinking. It's here, it's there. You know, general anesthesia. You yeah. won't feel it. Don't worry about That's it. That's what I thought it would be. Instead of night night. Night night. Yeah. Yeah. You got night nighted out of there. And I got a tumor taken off my toe. Good. That's good. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Well, no now, regrets for that. I mean, Nashville, I'm coming at you <laughs> next next weekend. Georgia with, has a precious little boot. One cowboy boot and the other. I'm a looking, medical boot. That's right. Yeah. Um, What's up with you? I'm glad that you just got some business to take care of. Too, I, me too. I uh, I had brilliantly made an appointment for a two-hour massage Ugh. for the day after we got back. Oh, you're, why are you so smart? I don't know. Well, <laughs> but it's from the lady that you recommended from that whole place. The facial and shit? Yes. Oh, that's like your place Trina, now. it's the spot. You know, sometimes when you get... I don't... When I have signed up for something, I just want it. I don't want to talk about it. Mm-mm. I don't want someone to ask me questions about all my feelings about. W- you don't want to the- fill out a form between what parts of your body and circle no. weird shoulders and shit. The answer is none of my business. Yeah, just- I don't know. It all hurts me. <laughs> Please solve it. Yeah. You and should know what yeah. parts hurt me. By How about touching you dig them? in? Yeah, yeah. How about you get your fingers all warmed up and dig in? And you tell me what parts I should be focusing yes. on. So we had a. For what for me as a person who was looking forward to it for like 12 days, um, was the longest interview process Aye. of talking about things. And you're like, is this part of the two hours? Exactly. I you. was like, is this cutting? Is this eating into my time? You're trying to burn off time at the top. But like, how different do you think the massage would have been from her, from you having to fill out a fucking form, which is stressful and not chill, which is not what you want in a massage and just getting in there with her fingers. Just digging in. Get, like, get me into that pan flute area. <laughs> I don't want to talk to anybody ever. <laughs> Especially four minutes before I'm supposed to be in a relaxation yeah. city. Just let me go to there. And if you leave anything out, you're not going to be fixed. I know. Okay. I do have to tell people I have epilepsy, though, because that would be a little shocker. How annoying. But but then it turned out, so does she. <gasps> and then she had all kinds of recommendations. And I was like, literally, we can do this anytime. Yeah. Oh, lady, I'll take you to lunch. Aww. Can you please just dig into my back now? So she does it. And... Afterwards, she told me that my back and neck are so tight. She goes, your neck muscles wouldn't let me get in there at all. So like she couldn't even massage the muscles she needed to massage because there was <laughs> muscles on top of those that were like no admittance. She was doing like a skin massage. She was like, she was, she thought I was half robot. She was, <laughs> she seemed like she was on the verge of tears oh, when she like, was telling I'm me. I'm going to quit and go back to school for what? For for people who are this mentally ill, they put everything into their back. She was just like, "How do you? There's lumps under that side." I'm oh, like, "Yeah, I know. That's my side. Get around that." And then the other side's pretty much the same. <laughs> it was hilarious. But anyway, but here's what she. I thought you would be excited to hear. She was like, "Do you ever take baths?" Oh, and I was like, "I really don't." Mostly because my bathtub is old, and I yeah, just yeah. picture no all the all the feet that have been Ugh. in it, but. She was like, if you can start taking baths and soaking in Epsom salt, mm. just just like just to get the beginnings of the muscles. You have relaxed. room in that backyard for a fucking above ground jacuzzi. 
I have an in-ground jacuzzi. Well, shit. I, I just never get in. I didn't see it. it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very subtle. It's very subtle oh my and off God, to the side. How do you not go in that? I don't know. Because then I'm like, then I'm going to smell like chlorine and I don't know. It so, seems weird. <laughs> like I'm all by myself in the backyard. Yes. Smoking a cigar in the jacuzzi. Yes. Karen, <laughs> that's all anyone wants to see. Instagram that shit. Can they see? You are a jacuzzi <laughs> influencer from now on. And I need it to happen. I do want everyone to know that the jacuzzi was invented by Roy Jacuzzi. And that's why it's Nuh-uh. called that. Yes. Look it up. Roy might be the wrong name. I believe name. you. But, um, yeah, that's a family name. Jacuzzi. Isn't that hilarious? That's so cute. I know. I love that. I love a jacuzzi. I mean. Get your swim trunks. Well, my, so when I was a kid and my dad, we, my parents divorced. And so we had to go to my dad's house every other weekend to stay with him. And he stayed in these like divorced out apartment buildings that had a fucking pool and jacuzzi, which is the best. Yeah. So he'd always say, uh, bring your swim trunks <laughs> and let's go have a nice jacuzzi. <laughs> so now that I live in an apartment building that has a nice jacuzzi. I fucking go take a nice jacuzzi. You're all about it. Dude, it's it's chill as fuck. Now, how are your swim trunks? Are they real <laughs> small or are they like 60s style to the knee? No, no, they're big and tr- <laughs> trunky. Suspenders involved? <laughs> Always. Sure. Um, bring your swim trunks. That's my dad calls them swim trunks, too. My dad made no adjustments raising yeah. two girls to any girl stuff at all. The thought of saying like something that covers your boobs is just like too much. No. No. No, it couldn't happen. No. Trunks. Trunks. It's trunks or nothing. Get out. <laughs> don't don't go with nothing. <laughs> don't. Do we have that any, would definitely not be involved. Uh, the Jensen and Holes podcast is coming up. <gasps> Starting Monday. This Monday. It's not an April Fool's joke. It's just fucking straight up real. It's real. It's fucking crappening. Dreams up in do your, come true. There you go. For me and you. We are Paul Holes' boss. Uh, don't. <laughs> Kind of. Don't worry about it. Sorry, Contra Costa County. You're out and we're in. You could keep him. We yeah, grabbed him. But we got him. Yeah. Um, yes, Billy Jensen and Paul Holes have their <laughs> brand new podcast, The um, Murder Squad with Jensen and Holes, starting Monday. Days away. Yeah. Uh, how so many? Exciting. Four days? Let's say four. Let's say it's four. It's not an April Fool's joke. It's for real. It's true. We would never do that to you. Not about this. Not about this. Not about these two. And we really have to, um, we need to sit for a moment and speak on, um, the beautiful photograph they had taken of themselves for it. It's so hilarious. Ugh. It's like they've been waiting all their lives yeah. to be podcast models. They're like, we know our pose. Robin Von Swank, our friend yeah. who's a photographer. Just take it. Yeah. Just take it. How about you dim those lights in this <laughs> fake murder squad <laughs> desk area? Mm-hmm. And we'll look serious. It's so there's something for everyone. It's like the poetry girls can like Billy because he's the guy that looks like he's in a band. Yep. And then then the librarian girls can like Paul because yeah. he's the DNA scientist. Yeah. With a little something more to offer. Yeah. And then the, the sleuths can help solve the crimes. That's right. You don't have to pick a boy. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. not necessary. We're not all. trying to um, objectify anyone here. Uh, uh, you are. Yeah. It might be too late. It wouldn't be the worst with that. Thing. They can have a minute of. They can have a touch of sexism Look. and just be like, hey, it'll make you, it, it's better for your character. <laughs> it worked for us all these yeah, years in Hollywood. Show a skin. Yeah. Have Billy. Unbutton a third button, Billy. Billy. Come on. <laughs> it'll make you just like more friendly. Show a little skin. <laughs> can you both wear, it's fine if you wear your button down Oxford shirts, but how about you both wear short shorts for this? Loose, uh, gain five pounds in your beard. 
<laughs> gain five pounds of beard and let's fucking and you'll look great have beard yeah because you know like it's like lose five pounds and it's like no get your beard yeah that's right no you're you're saying this is what the new sexism is sexism is yeah i love it where's your beard where you, i want you to look like a bartender yeah or a mixologist can you not grow a beard Ooh, sorry oh. you didn't get the part yeah sorry. go get a beard implant Sorry. We need you to be bald like uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Oh, you can't <laughs> be bald? Well, then mm. I guess you don't get the part. Mm-mm. Men. Goodbye. Men! <laughs> um, do you have anything? <laughs> Men! Men! Um, I got nothing, girl. I can't concentrate. That Janet thing was all I had. I, and I've been saving it. It took me everything not to tell that to you at live sh- the live shows last weekend. You really you scrolled that one away. I scrolled it away. It's been hard. Well, I don't I know where it. we are. I don't either. I'm I'm tired. Um, <laughs> but also we had such a good time. Yes. Um, we did K- Kansas City, Des Moines, and Omaha. Mm-hmm. I almost said Ottawa. I swear don't to God. Don't you dare. Um, and Omaha. the week before that, we did uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. We did Pittsburgh, Cincy, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis. And Indianapolis. So we do, we're doing some, we're doing some, you know, touring. We're doing yeah. touring. It's like, I'm tired and exhausted, but like those cities were so much fun to do. And Ugh. everyone was so incredible that. It's, back to back. Yeah. Each one, like, honestly, we were putting up, um, you know, the social media posts of thank you. But like, there were so many good, like detailed yeah. things where I wanted to like, each city could have gotten their own long 240 character thank you yeah. because we had such a good time yeah and it was beautiful and all those theaters are beautiful and yeah. filled yeah oh <laughs> this is just a this is like a little piece of trivia that i know for a fact my father would be love to hear uh did i tell him i'm not sure but at our show in omaha every seat was filled i know and apparently that doesn't happen it sounds like oh yeah of course whatever but it's very rare that every single person actually shows up and fills their seat. As someone with r- annoyingly good vision who can see about <laughs> 20 rows out. Yeah. I see those, I see those four empty seats and yes. wonder who got in a fight with whom <laughs> or whose fucking car broke down. Who's stuck in the elevator. Who's stuck in the elevator. <laughs> I see it and I think, what happened to them? Or yeah. like, yeah. So that actually is a big deal. And I, <laughs> can we talk about you thinking that there was a real live cat in the audience? Oh, uh, yes. That was great. What was that? Was that Kansas City? <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> I thought this girl held up this life-like like fur animal of Elvis and held it in a way that looked like the way you'd hold a cat. Steven yes. knows. And and the the it was a stuffed animal but the the way the animal was shaped it was hunched over yeah, yeah. her hand. So the second I looked over she held it up and everyone started clapping. It was a very like, like Lion King-esque <laughs> moment. <laughs> yes. And Karen was like disgusted by it and I was like what are you talking about? It's adorable. I was like do not bring a cat into a, this situation. They don't imagine the screaming. Like all I could picture was that whoever's arm was holding that cat yeah. up was probably underneath covered in blood because that cat would have been scrambling to get out of there at the applause part. It was a, a stuffed animal. And the whole time it was a stuffed animal. And then in the meet and greet, we met the girl and she was saying, I dressed up as you. We, the two women who were there said, yeah. we dressed up as you for Halloween. And the um, woman holding the cat, I keep wanting to say girl, holding the cat said, and I had this maid so I could be like you. But she, and, then, and then she showed me. And then she me. handed it to you. Uh-huh. And Georgia said, thank you. 
and he grabbed it and hugged it and I watched Almost the girl's face fall. Georgia was over the moon and I this love girl it was so like much. Oh no, I have and to Karen give goes, her. I don't think she's giving that to you. <laughs> and I went, Oh God, oh God, it oh God. Was, it was I had to step in only because that thing looked expensive. It's so expensive. And she looked she was just like, Okay. Like if somebody's gonna take yeah. it, what are you gonna do? So I, ha- I had to a little bit do that. I was so humiliated. <laughs> <laughs> but it, then I told my balloon story because it's the exact same thing of when I right. thought a girl was bringing me a bouquet of balloons after my I recorded my album back in the green room. But she was just the girl on the next show bringing some balloons for the show. <laughs> What'd she say? These aren't for you. I, I at like a insane prom queen, turned to her and went, oh, thank you. This big over the top, like, and she just pulled them back toward herself and went, these are mine. Yeah. Everything hurts all the time. It all hurts. I'm always wrong. There's moments of happiness in this life. Yes. The majority of it. There's a lot of wrong. Awkward wrongness. Weird grabbing at things that you don't like. Uh, You don't want to go on the record as I tried to steal that girl's cat. No. But at the same time, in that moment, you just thought that was what was happening. Yeah. And yeah. you went with it. Yeah. And fuck everyone else. And yes, you know this what? is personal. Guess what? <laughs> we have passions. Strong, balloon, cat passions. I have the real Elvis, and that's good enough for me. But then you would love a stuffed one. I would actually love a stuffed <laughs> I mean, it was so real that I thought someone held up a real cat at a at a comedy yeah, show. It was probably like $500, as you said. Men's. Okay. Well, I'm happy for her. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I hope she's happy. I really hope she's happy. Uh, I would like to special shout out. Okay. Because at that same... Oh, no. Sorry. I was going to say at that same show, but that's not true at all. It was days later. At the Omaha show in the meet and greet, we got to meet Grandma Cheryl. <gasps> These two girl women, uh, young women, brought their grandma. Mm-hmm. They went and got her, sprung her from the home mm-hmm. on a Sunday mm. to bring her to the live My Favorite Murder podcast. Why you would do that to your grandmother, <laughs> I don't know, but they did it. And she was in the meet and greet, came around that corner. The girls explained, we just got her. And mm-hmm. then Grandma Cheryl looked at me and goes, I'm missing Sunday night bingo for this. And I <laughs> almost like ugly sobbed on oh. her because she was... A classic grandma. And you go, way. you said, what way are you, a dollar fifty? Yep. And she goes, actually four dollars. More like four. <laughs> and I grabbed her hands and they felt like my grandma's hands. Yeah. That's soft. She was wearing like a, a cardigan sweater that was a sweater my grandma had. Yeah. For sure. I, it was just like, it was like going back in time. It was the most beautiful to those young women who brought grandma Cheryl. You brought us the best gift Thank ever. Yeah. And then they, Sent a picture on Twitter, and then afterwards I said, Grandma Cheryl made me, made us uh, cry with joy. And they said, she can't wait to tell all of her friends oh. at, the, at the rest home about her evening where I'm like, please leave some stuff out. <laughs> please don't tell all of them everything. Grandma. It was beautiful. We had a great, great time. Yeah. It was really nice, cool town. Every town. Yeah. Des Mo- Who knew Des Moines was like the fucking coolest town? Who knew? I want to hang out there. I want to hang out there. Their shirts are great. Yeah. They had some, they're, they had a store, a local store called Rayground that was making SSDGM like stay at, it was um get a job, buy your own shit, stay out of the cornfield. And they, they donated every, all the money from that to, and the backlog, it's like $1,400. Yes. It's fucking amazing. Yes. Like. 
money where mouth is, etc. Yes, they're doing it. Des Mo- there was De- the Des Moines Murderinos. If they have a special name, we don't know what it is. Sorry, uh, but <laughs> but I mean, like so many people got those shirts. It was just, yeah. it was awesome. We had a great time. Yeah, we're having fun. A couple more months to go. Um, we're having fun, <laughs> and we're gonna get through it. <laughs> Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea, because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional, and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Um, who goes first based on what? Karen goes first based on Indianapolis. Boom. Wait. Ow. Oh, are you okay. I'm fine. Are you okay? <laughs> There's too many microphones. Wait, are we doing based on? Okay, so what we played last week? It's like based on what the audience knows. Got it, I got think, got it, right? Got it, yeah. Okay. That's that's the best way to do it. Okay. Yeah. That's reality. Look, listen. <laughs> Look, we're just swimming. Now it's interesting because this was one of the stories I wanted to do when we were in Cincinnati. Okay. 
which was uh, even further back, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Was it? I don't fucking know. Okay. Don't be mad at me. (laughs) Um, Cincinnati. Cincinnati Uh was. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I had this ready, and then I was like, don't do this tonight, Um, because that would be bad. It's the 1979 Cincinnati concert disaster. Oh, no. Yes. Yes. Now, I'd heard of this only because as a child, I watched the television show WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. And they actually did an episode (gasps) referencing it. Pulled from the headlines. Yeah. Or ripped from the headlines. Usually ripped. Lightly, gently chugged. Gently um, cut out with safety scissors Mm. from the headlines. Um, But so that's I knew the general concept of it. But now I tell you what happened. Please do. Okay. It's September 1979. Here we are. Here we are. Jimmy Carter's the president. Hi. There's an energy crisis. Everything is brown and velour and acoustic and smells like bad pot. Turn your lights off. Turn your lava lamp on. Turn your lava lamp on and your lights off. And ter- put your famolaris on and get ready. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the children of today have to remember this is before, obviously, the internet. It's before everything to the point where at one point they're talking about the ticketing situation oh yeah there's a company do you remember the company ticketron no that was like the original um ticket master yes thank you i would have never wow i had half of it and i would have never <laughs> been able to say that um ticketron that's ticket-tron. where the ticket ticketron and the um the letters were in like digital number Ticketron. pieces. Was it like Ticketron? Ticketron. Ticketron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Green pieces. Everything is robotic. Uh, but you, but nothing was robotic because you had to go up to a window and yeah. show up and be like, yes, I'd like to go see the Who. I did that the- until like 2000 because it was cheaper. I'd go to a window, buy tickets to whatever fucking shitty cons, like bands I wanted to see. Oh, is that how you do it with like no fee or something? Yeah. Yeah. So apparently that was the only way you yeah. could do it. Ticketron okay. style in uh, the 70s. Okay. I'm sure there are other ways. Please, I don't want to hear about hear. them. We don't care. <laughs> I'm sure that you could call up on fucking Western Union yeah. and get your tickets. 888. All these different. Whatever. <laughs> 888. You could go to Times Square somehow I'm and get sure. tickets anywhere. You could show up at the concert. But we're just trying to let the uh, the young folks know what it used to be like. Harder. It was walking. A lot of more walking. A lot. That's why everybody's shoes were much thicker on the bottom. <laughs> that's not true. Okay, so... The Who are on a world tour. It's, it's December of 1979. The Who are on their world tour and they land in Cincinnati, Ohio to play the Riverfront Coliseum for December 3rd. Um, there are 18,348 tickets available. The show sells out entirely. Holy shit. Okay. They're so- doing some of my favorite murder numbers. <laughs> no, they are not. <laughs> Congratulations, The Who. <laughs> the Who? <laughs> the Who. Uh, the majority of those tickets, 14,770 of those tickets are sold as general admission for 10 bucks. Jeez. So you can go see the fucking who for $10. Which in today's dollars is, um, 100, let's say it's 110 and 11. Okay. Great. 110 and 11. So, but they called this, the general admission was festival seating. Which usually the term festival seating was 
used for outdoor concerts mm -hmm. and like like outdoor arenas where you could there were no seats you'd and you'd just out. be like yeah, yeah here's your ticket you go in it's festival seating it's first come first serve okay but at the riverfront auditorium they did festival seating and that meant that you would show up you would get let in and then you'd have to run for your spot <laughs> like so a, it was like a seat Yes. So whether you wanted to sit or stand, like if you wanted to be one of those people that was right yeah, up yeah. against the front, <gasps> you had to get there early and you had to run to mm, the front. I don't want to do that. You know, never. So, uh, this is, this is problem A. Okay. And there's, we're going through the alphabet twice on this. <laughs> no, not really. Um, also the riverfront, um, Coliseum, uh, was known for its lax security and safety standards, which I think is how everything was yeah. in the seventies. Yeah. But two years before Led Zeppelin had played there and, um, about a thousand people showed up without tickets and then they just gate crashed. They fucking like attacked the, mm. the ticket takers through bottles and garbage and the cops. Shit. And then they threw they cops. Just, they threw cops at <laughs> ticket takers. It's not right. It's terrible. <laughs> Just little cops, though. Those little ones. Um, they basically were able to... So, a thousand people showed up to do that. Seventy got arrested. So, 930 people got into that Led Zeppelin concert and for free. And they still played shit. Yes. It's and 10 bucks, 1970s kids. Yeah, but they didn't have anything. I get it, I get they it. They just didn't have anything. Yeah. So... And basically, it was that kind of thing where they knew they could they could do it. I mean, there was people that would just go up and push the ticket taker aside and run in, yeah. and then like you can't get caught. Yeah. Um. So knowing that that had already happened, um, and also a local radio station had announced that the general admission ticket holders were going to be let in at three. Um, so all, basically there was the, the feeling was in the air and people started showing up for an eight o'clock concert, seven o'clock doors at 1230 in the afternoon. Take a nap. Right. Well, they, so they basically are there. Most of them are there for eight hours. Jesus, It's December no. in Ohio. No, no. So it's in like, it's in the thirties that day. So it's like rock and roll parking lot. With snow. With, yeah, like freezing and, and basically people who are kind of like, it's, it's, um, this, uh, this kind of ticketing where it's every man for himself. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of like a Black Friday feel Fuck. where everyone's like, but the flat screen TV is just the wonderful sounds of Quadrophenia and the Who. And the, <laughs> and the housewife is the teenager who's hopped up on Natty Light. Yeah, that's and right. And ready to roll. And, and, uh, black beauties and reds and all the Uppers things you, downers, you, you can poppers. get. Poppers. You used to be able to get all those pills in the back of Rolling Stone magazine. You know that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You yeah. could like mail away for like b bad speed, essentially. <laughs> Let's bring those times back. <laughs> okay. So about 1 30 um, in the afternoon, the head of rock promotion for Electric Factory. There's a company called, uh, it's a promotional company called Electric Factory. Um, and this guy's named Cal Levy. He sees that this crowd is gathering at the main entrance. He goes and asks the Riverfront Coliseum Operations Director, who's a guy named Richard Morgan, to put some security guards out there and at all the ramp entrances leading to the Coliseum's Plaza. Um, and they also asks that the guards make sure only ticket holders 
come into the into that plaza. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just don't want people like chilling out there. He also notices there's no police officers anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so he asks Morgan to send, have some police sent to the venue. Yeah. So by four o'clock, there's 25 police officers that are kind of manning the area. And by six o'clock, the crowd outside the Coliseum is almost to 8,000 people. Holy shit. Yes. And so... They, I think there was another misunderstanding. They were going to play Quadrophenia, the movie Quadrophenia, before the concert mm-hmm. as the instead of an opening act. Mm-hmm. They were just going to play that movie. So everyone, I think, in the beginning thought it was going to be this like hangout chill yeah. for hours beforehand, but the doors wouldn't open. And, um, there was some that, that was like a miscommunication. So by 6 15, People are up, you know, day turns to night. The temperatures are dropping. There's a wind chill factor coming off the Ohio yeah, River. Fucking wind chill. And these people have been waiting some for eight hours Dude, to get in. Yeah. So, um, th- so the crowd is, and the crowd is thinking, expecting that all the doors in front of the venue are going to open. Um, so at 615, mm. the people in the back start pushing <gasps> toward the front, like, no. and people are knocking and they're just, like, want, they want the doors to open. Um, and the people in the back don't realize yeah. that what they're doing to the people in the front. Okay. This is one of my fucking nightmares and why I don't leave the house if I don't have to. Right. To get caught up in shit like this. Just to get caught up in shit. Yes. And this especially is like rough. Yeah. Okay. It's bad. And it's also that thing where people wouldn't have done it right. in the back had they known what was happening. The whole thing was a really bad miscommunication on all parts, but it it was like people left to their own devices. It's like, um, what is it called when a little fire thing happens and then the rest of it? Ki- a wild it's like a fire? kindling. Oh, yes. And they wouldn't, and it turns into something bigger because everyone's reacting to everyone else. Yes. And normally if they had known the situation, they would not have acted that way. Right. And there was, they were holding fast to some rules. So like at one point, um, there, so, in that pushing, people are yelling, open the fucking doors, and they're going one, two, three, push, and like moving the crowd. It's like stuff like that. Yeah. So the guy that was in charge, um, Lieutenant Dale Menkhouse, who was, who was basically the cop in charge of all the cops, he gets a hold of good old Richard Morgan and says, you have to start opening some of these doors so that this like crowd can disperse a little yeah. bit. But Morgan says, no, no one's getting in until sound check is over. And of course, sound check is late because the band is late so it's you know it's 6 30 um the doors are supposed to open like general admission at seven and they don't open at seven because the band hasn't sound checked yet but people on the outside nobody is explaining anything to anybody yeah so when seven passes people like then people are getting angry and like people are getting a little crazy there was actually the the way everyone was jam-packed together and like kind of the frenzy of the crowd there was a steam coming off of the crowd because it was so cold yeah, outside there was, there was like, like all this heat yeah oy, oy, oy. i know so um so they're not going to open the doors right until uh sound check so at 705 they finally decide okay we should open some doors but they don't open a bunch they just open two doors over on the no, right no. way over on the right so that means all the people that thought they were in the front that are in front of all the other <gasps> doors see that now they're in the back maybe because they're not close to the far right doors and that's when it, it gets up another notch Shit. um so th- so the push starts and people uh are now people are shoving toward that door even harder 
And then, and, and the other doors, so there's four doors open. Two of them are blocked by cops with billy clubs. Mm -mm. So they're trying to like somehow can control. They think, I think by only opening a couple doors, people are just going to go in calmly. Yeah. Well, even if that plan that there were too many people for that even to, to work at all anyway. And then, at 7.30, sound check starts. Oh, so they think the band is starting. Yes, they oh. fucking think the concert's starting. Shit. So they can hear it, and all of a sudden, the Loser huge shit. push happens. Yeah. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. So there's a, a general admission ticket holder. One, there was an article that was written from the POV of this guy who was there that day. His name is Richard Klopp, and he and his wife got there at like little before three mm-hmm. so that they could get their spot in line. And he's a big, he went to a lot of shows, big music fan. Okay. So he had actually written a letter to the electric factory, which is a promotional company, mm-hmm. the riverfront Coliseum and to the city of Cincinnati mm-hmm. telling them that this whole thing of festival seating had to go because he'd been at enough shows where it had gotten all fucked up. And it's like, just like a free for all. Yes. Because there is a thing where it's like, you know, you have these two seats. They're your seats and you know, they'll be there no matter what when you get in. Yes. And it's so it doesn't matter when you come. Right. Like that. That's understandable. Yeah. And if you, um, like if you bought a $10 ticket, but you know that if you can just run fast enough, yeah. you have a for, you have a front, front row, row ticket. Yeah. It's just, there's, it's like saying, it's like going, who's the biggest fan? Yeah. And if you have people that get stuck in the back or they think they've figured out their spot and then they're, they're suddenly yeah. they're in the wrong spot. I mean, that's how it's like it, the perfect storm of inciting people's yeah. like anger and fury. And, and then not to mention people are on drugs or yes. like we decided we'd take some acid at four o'clock. Oy. I mean, like who the fuck knows what's going on? So. This guy, Richard Klopp, who is six foot two and weighs over 200 pounds, gets shoved to the <gasps> ground. And he is down there getting walked on and going, I can't believe this thing that I was writing a letter about is actually happening I to mean, me. I, that truly terrifies me. It's horrifying. And he's separated from his wife. You know, this happened to me. We went to see the Pogues. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to this with my, with my friend Brian on Twitter on St. Patrick's Day, we were talking about, I went to see the Pogues on St. Patrick's Day when I was a senior in high school. And the opening act was Luca Bloom, who was this awesome Irish acoustic singer songwriter. Mm -hmm. And then the Pogues walk out and they fucking start off their concerts with If I Should Fall from Grace with God, which is this insane Irish like Uh. reel. And I got sucked backwards into a mosh pit, spun around once and then thrown out to the side. My feet were never on the ground. I just got, I was standing there like, yeah, this thing's gonna, and all of a sudden it was like I was in the washing machine. My first two concerts were at this fucking shitty, uh, divey place where there was a pit. And yeah, if you wanted to watch the band, you'd get sucked into it. Yes. Yeah. You, that was just part of being in the front. Right. Yeah. And if you, I mean, I had no idea because no. I was like, oh, it's this Irish music like my parents like. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. There's some, there's some angry fucking men who want <laughs> to run around show. and. Just throw punches. Yeah. At but it. also run around. I just didn't realize in such a tight yeah. group you could do that. Yeah. And that was like part of it. It was insane. So anyway, he was basically, uh, he, he and his wife were separated. He smashed to the ground. Mm-hmm. He had inner injuries, but luckily mm-hmm. he wasn't killed. So as he is, as he's trying to get up, he can see there's other people trying to get up. 
And he can see there's people who are, once they're up, are trying to get up over the doors to get away from, uh, to get out of that crowd. Uh, that essentially it's like become this weird machine. Yeah. And the people that are pushing and the people that are walking, no one knows yeah. that people are on the ground being trampled. Yeah. Because um, they're probably being like pushed forward like a wave anyway. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's all, yeah, it becomes like it's not about your personal will. Right. Um, yeah, there were people who were there that said that they saw bodies piling up by the doors. Um, they saw people trying to get to their feet. They saw people being swept just by the crowd, <sighs> but no one really knew because basically then once they were in, everyone was running to get to the front Yeah, and everybody was realizing, oh, that, you know, like this, the concert hasn't started or whatever. So then it was kind of like that basically the concert went on as planned and everybody just went in and watched the Who play. It's not until 7.45 that the police officers find the first dead body on oh the ground. Oh, my God. So it's because also the police are around the back. They're basically kind of on the outside of this. Thinking that people are going to try to get in from other ways. Yes. Or like, or they're just not, they're focusing on, on like people being rowdy and uh, yeah. making sure a riot doesn't start because mm. that's essentially what happened at that Led Zeppelin concert. They, they just want to make sure it's not a riot. Yeah. And so they're looking at the wrong thing and they don't they not even noticing that there's people on the ground so yeah it's not until 754 that officers find the first body then they so then now officials are starting to realize the severity of the situation they call for help so then ambulances are brought in the fire department more police then reporters show up Mm. on the scene and so now we cut to a fancy restaurant in cincinnati why because Where, what are we doing here? This is the first day of the mayor. It's his first day on the job. Oh shit! His name's Ken Blackwell. He's having dinner with House Speaker Tip O'Neill. Oh, and he gets the call. The shit is going down at the Riverfront Coliseum. Like bring a fucking telephone to his table, <laughs> yes. Mayor, Sir, Mayor, Sir. This is the longest cord we could find. <laughs> um, and yeah, so he has to go down there. And basically, they have to decide when he arrives, they decide, do we, do we end this concert? Do we pull the plug now? Um, but he real, he believes and the fire marshal agrees with him that if they then yeah. pull the plug, there riot. will be a riot totally. for sure. So they let the concert go Shit. as planned. So at 8.45, a promoter named Larry McGid informs the Who's manager, Bill Kerbishley, um, that four co- concert goers are confirmed dead. Ugh. And um, he tells them there were two ODs and two crushed. That's the story. For some reason, the fire marshal was under the impression that there was a mass overdose at the beginning of this concert. And they were like, people, I think, were trying to like, yeah. oh, oh, they those par- they were partying and they were doing drugs. Yeah. And these rock and roll kids have done this to themselves. Yeah. That was what they were kind of trying to do. It sounds like at first. Um, he quickly learns, though, that none of the deaths are drug induced. They were all due to trampling and asphyxiation from uh. being in that crowd. So... Um, so when the set is over, the, um, Kerbishly, the Who's manager pulls them aside and says, make your encore as short as possible. Yeah. Cause something has happened. So they basically go out, do their encore, get off stage. And finally, once they come off from the encore, they're informed that 11 people have died. 11, 11 people were killed in that, in that stampede. Wow. And another 26 were injured. 
Um, so in the weeks following the concert, there were arguments over who was to blame. The media reports um, pointed the finger at like rock and roll culture or whatever, oh, yeah. um, saying it was drugs, alcohol, and general rowdiness. But the people at the concert were just like, no fucking way. They planned this so badly. Yeah. They, everything about this was bad planning. And that idea of like holding the doors, right. that, they, that they were going to be able to control an 8,000 person crowd <sighs> who was being, who made, who were made to wait all day totally and not communicated with in any way there was no safety setup or uh, communication yeah. in any way so pete townsend uh, is apparently in the subsequent shows they did pete townsend's visibly shaken mm. um the only person who speaks on it is roger daltrey and he basically is says there are no words to say how i feel i'm a parent I have a boy who's 15. I have two little girls. And all I can say is, I'm sorry for what happened. Um, I mean, you know, they felt fucking terrible. Yeah. And, um, but I think there was also that thing of like, that they were just the, the object of yeah. all of that and had nothing to do with crowd control or the way the tickets were sold. And the next night's show was in Buffalo, New York, and it was dedicated to those who died in Cincinnati. Um, safety measures that might have once been considered unnecessary are now implemented like going forward like immediately yeah that's great so of course the families of the victims um who were trampled sue uh the city of cincinnati the who and the electric um fa factory concerts um and in 1983 all those suits were settled and the families of each of the deceased received a six-figure payout, which mm -hmm. was something around $150,000 at the time. And the people who were injured received a smaller, although substantial payouts as well. Mm -hmm. um, the mayor of Providence, Rhode Island, canceled the Who's performance <gasps> that was later that month, December of 1979, despite the fact that Providence had only assigned seating and there was no chance that that could have happened. Rhode Island is a very careful place. They just won't risk it. <laughs> And But this is what I love. 33 years later, the Who returned to Providence um, and honored the tickets from 1979. <gasps> so if you bought one and you didn't no. get to go, you could go for free that night. Yes. That's beautiful. I know. Isn't that nice? Um, uh, and then on December 27th, so the same month that it happened, the city of Cincinnati banned festival seating with very specific exceptions. And the ban stood for 25 years. It was repealed very controversially in 2004. Wow. Yeah. Probably for fucking Justin Timber. <laughs> I was going to say Lollapalooza. Uh, Lala starring <clears throat> Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, Justin Timberlake. Starring Justin Timberlake. And then basically an, because WKRP in Cincinnati was a sitcom about a radio station, obviously in Cincinnati. Right. And they were all about, this was back before, um, you had to pay, you know, for every needle drop on every TV show yeah. and all of those, every song you hear on TV shows now, people uh, get paid for and rightfully so. Um, but back then, you know, WKRP, they played Steely Dan. They played music <laughs> throughout that show just in the background. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so kind of almost like in with respect to that, um, they had this episode, which where basically a similar thing happens. Mm. And it is it and they at the end of it, dedicate um, that episode to the victims of the 1979 um, who stampede a very special episode. Yeah. 
And there's um, a website I got a bunch of this information from, aside from Wikipedia, um, there was a website called ultimateclassicrock.com. Yes. Right? That talked all about it. And they had this great, they they did an article specifically about the WKRP episode. Um, and I think you have to buy WKRP like on DVD to watch any of it. Wow. But um I liked this quote. They said, still, if, cause they were talking about how hard the balance of it, it was a straight up sitcom and then they're dealing with like a very special episode, mm-hmm. but they did it perfectly. They did stuff like that a lot and they were really good at it. But the quote is still, if the in concert episode stands for nothing else, it at least has the honor of saying this 35 years ago when things got real right in the backyard of its fictional setting, WKRP in Cincinnati did not flinch. Yeah. And they really didn't. And they, the guy that wrote it had to fight with, um, uh, the showrunner about it. And then they decided to do it. And then the network was like, we don't think we should do this. Right. So the actual episode ended up airing February 11th, 1980. So it was like two, you know, a month and a little later in 2015, a memorial marker was finally placed outside the, what's now called the U S bank arena, um, for the victims whose lives were lost that night. And it was, um, paid for entirely by individual donations. So it was, it was a crowdsourced um, memorial. And so the people who died in the stampede on December 3rd, 1979 are Walter Adams Jr., who was 22. Uh, he was from Trotwood, Ohio. Peter Bose, who is 18 from Wyoming, Ohio. Connie Sue Burns, who is 21 from Miamisburg, Ohio. Jacqueline Eckerly, who is 15 from Finneytown, mm. Ohio. David Heck, who is 19 from Highland Heights, Kentucky. Tiva Ray Ladd, who is 27 from Newtown, Ohio. Karen Morrison, who is 15 from Finneytown, Ohio. Stefan Preston, who is 19 from Finneytown, Ohio. Philip Snyder, who is 20 from Franklin, Ohio. Brian Wagner was 17 from Fort Thomas, Kentucky. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. James Warmoth, who was 21 from Franklin, Ohio. Such little babies. They're all babies. Who just went to have fun. Yeah. It's, I just think about how scary those last moments had to have been. Like, I, I definitely, this is one of those ways that you think about dying. Yeah. How, if you're obsessed with that shit. Well, and that idea that, like, because we've all seen, like, the Black Friday videos where right. if you go down in a crowd like that, the only way you come back up is if someone looks out for you. It's a wave. And it's yes. not even, I mean, it's not even everyone else's fault. It's this, like, wave of humans that have no control over that right because they're being pushed too. right it's like that yeah it's like it's it's so awful yeah. it's so it's worst case scenario and it's horrible this is why i didn't want to do it on a live show but i <laughs> yeah. did want to do it because it's like yeah it's one of those disasters that's like the preventable and now they know that yeah you know the, but those God. ways were like how preventable disasters how things why things are the way they are and like bad decisions based on money too yeah it's like just at that point open the doors and let everyone in because it's dangerous otherwise yeah you know and it's instead of the ten dollars you would have gotten from however many people who didn't have tickets it's like just you know just let them in yeah because everyone needs help 
Right. And, and the idea that I think people understand now, it's like, if you're going to have a concert with, you know, 18,000 people, got to get some staff security. You can't have three people at the one doorway over on the right. right. Like everything has to be prepped for safety first, Yeah, which I think they know now. They you do. Know. It seems like that. But I just want to say I was nine at the time and fucking no one gave a shit about safety when I was nine years old. No, they didn't. They really didn't. Took a long time. Yeah. Well, that was amazing. I mean, fuck, dude. Yeah. It's a heavy one, but I just was like, oh, it's such a, I wanted to do it that night so bad, but I was also like, how awful would it be to sit in a theater uh-huh. and be like, uh-huh, what else happened the night that... Name the people. Yeah. It, it's, it's, the, <laughs> I guess it's the same thing with like the name of this podcast where I want to be, I want to be like, I love that stories like that. Right. But really, I love them. It's like, it's my favorite because I hate it. Yes. But it's, well, it's, I'm fascinated by that shit. Because also it's like, you're right. Those times that you're like, I don't like this feeling in this crowd. I don't like, I need to get over to the side. And you think, oh, I'm crazy or I have this yeah. anxiety. You're right. Because you shouldn't, you have to be careful in big crowds. Yeah. You have to be careful and you can't just trust that everything's no. going to go great. No, I get, yeah, I get really freaked out in crowds like that. Yeah. In any crowd. Watch your friends, watch your back, watch your friends back. Watch your backs, friends. Don't be afraid to walk into the concert a little bit late. Go, you heard oh. that fucking song before? Oh, my God. Don't worry. It sounds the same on a radio. That's amazing. All right. That was great. Thank you. Good job. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh, my God. Yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> it has to be told. Shutting down. Shut Had down. to tell it. Had shut, to tell it. Shut down and, and rest and sit down and sink down and let me tell you a story. I love it. Okay. 
So this is a story I found uh, when I was searching when I was searching for a story to do when we go to St. Louis. Oh, okay. In the future. Yes. And I was like, well, this is incredible. I have to do it now. <laughs> How have I never heard of this? Okay. Gr- wow. That's really saying something that you can't wait right. for the... Okay. It's like the opposite of yours. Yes. Okay. This is Glennon Engelman, the killer dentist. What? That's right. So I found a lot of information from an oxygen article. Um, remember FBI files? I totally yes. forgot about that. Yes. Um, a FBI files, uh, a episode called Deadly Dentist, <laughs> a show on ID. That show was called Deadly Dentists. Oh. And this, and the episode was called Concealed Abscess. <laughs> <laughs> I've had those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I need to make an appointment. You gotta go. Well, this will make you not want to go to a dentist anymore. All right. Let me tell you about Glennon Engelman. He's born in St. Louis uh, on the south side. It's a blue-collar working-class neighborhood in 1927. One of four children. His dad's a, rail- a railroad worker. And then it says, and his wife. Because <laughs> that's his mom. That's right. And the wife, wife was a wife. Mm-hmm. And a mom. Yes. So Engelman. And a railroad engineer. <laughs> that's right. Just don't worry about it. Uh, she made a mean pie. That's right. Uh, Engelman graduated from Washington University's dentist program in 1954. He wasn't a great student. He did fine. I guess you can just pass dentist school without great grades. Don't like that. Nope. It's just sucks. I really like to only experience the best of the best when it comes to dentistry. Especially in 1954 when shit was probably like fucking still medieval. That's right. Right. That was back before they hid the big needle behind their back. Yeah. They were like, Do you like big needles? Right. Bloodletting. I, I have one. Let's make these teeth out of fucking elephant tusks. Okay. This, sorry, but it does remind me because I... I was going to the dentist really regularly until I, this last season of Baskets and then everything like shut down. Um, but I am going back next week, but I haven't seen my hot dentist in so yeah. long. What if everything's different now between us? I know. What if he's not hot anymore? What if, he- <laughs> what if his teeth got replaced by toenails? <laughs> Would you be stoked? <laughs> Somewhere, like he was, be, became bewitched some, for yeah, some like reason. Little children's toenails. That's, no, it'd be the cruelest thing to do to a dentist who knew yeah. the importance of hygiene. It's almost impossible, but that's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it's almost impossible. Almost, okay. but never say never. Okay, okay. So Glennon uh, opens his own practice in his neighborhood where he grew up, St. Louis' South Side, as I said. Uh, and so everyone's like stoked that he's like sticking with the neighborhood. He's like, you know, one of us and et cetera. Um, and he also treats his poorest patients for free a lot of times. So he's like generous and shit. However, don't like this guy yet because okay. according to the book, Appointment for Murder, <laughs> the story of the killing dentist by Susan Crane Backos, he was a rabid racist, anti-Semite, and dabbled in the occult, mixing a voracious sexuality. Oh. That, the last two I can deal with. The other shit, <laughs> I don't like. So his, he, his first marriage was to a student teacher named Edna Ruth Bullock, and it lasted three years. And after the divorce, he continued to give her money and, sh- and they still had sex. And she also continued to see him for dental care, which okay. is like pick one. You what? know what I mean? But he was so great at all of them. He was just great at all. It was like Wait. mediocre at dental care, but who else are you going to go to? That's right. And same with sex, but look, <laughs> look, a lady doesn't have that much time. He knows you, you know what I mean? He knows yeah. your quirks and to explain how you come to <laughs> shit. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, to explain why you need your arm up that certain angle right. all the time. It's right. just, yeah. It's just complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so his ex-wife, Ruth, then marries a dude named James Bullock. He's a 27-year-old clerk studying to be an accountant. And he's also one of Dr. Engelman's patients. Okay. And then on de- five and a half months after they get married, on December 17th, 1958, James Bullock is fucking randomly shot dead by a sniper in front of the St. Louis Art Museum. Oh, my God. But, right. Uh, Ruth collects $64,000 in life insurance, which mm. is $550,000 in today's money. Shit. And half a mil? Half a mil. And the investigators are like, investigators? <laughs> the investigators like, this is suspicious. And they look into Ruth's life. They discover that uh, that she is a wi- has a wild side. She has exploits in local bars that are legendary, whatever the fuck that means. Fucking tell me about it. Ask me about the rustic inn. <laughs> I'll tell you. Stand on the bar and lift up your skirt. You better have some exploits. <laughs> <laughs> so she sounds like a fun time gal. I bet she'd be awesome. But um, they question her and then they, they, then they're criticized by the harsh treatment of a grieving widow. So they back off of her. But they also ha- were suspicious of her ex-husband, Glennon, the dentist. But he has an alibi for the murder. So uh, the killing goes cold. Five years later, in 1963, Glennon is now married to a librarian, and he comes up with another get-rich-quick scheme. He opens a drag racing strip. Cool. Which was all the rage back then. Yes. Yes. So, a dude named Eric Frey, uh, who had recently married one of Glennon's former girlfriends, becomes a partner in the business. He's like, drag racing, let me get in on this. Let's do this. Let's do it. But on September 26, 1963, as Eric Frey is helping Dr. Engelman with construction at the site, Frey somehow finds himself struck in the head with a rock, and at the bottom of a well that also happened to be, con- uh, happened to contain a large amount of dynamite. And then the whole fucking thing exploded. What? It's a freak accident. What? No, it's not. <laughs> Wait, how do you... <laughs> First of all, this is starting to sound familiar. Really? Did I yes. do this one already? I don't know. Okay. Well, the dynamite. The dynamite. There's always dynamite. Wait. You've done this before. Are you serious? I just was trying to find the same list. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Who did it? Me or Georgia? Uh, was Pam Hupp? That must have I was been. I was Pam Hupp. So then it must have been. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it sounded really familiar. I was like trying to find it. I was going through emails from like 20. This was 20. When was this? This was. I'm like shaking. Uh, God damn it. December 8th, 2017. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's two years ago. <laughs> How am I supposed to? <laughs> go on. No. Yes, go on. No, I'm not going to. Why not? Oh, Jesus. You think anyone remembers my version of this fucking shit? We have to leave all we of this never, in. <laughs> we, we never released an episode. We did never release it. It was never released. Oh. Yeah. Oh, then we're fine. Please leave this in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wait, that's... I feel like Stephen, you buried the lead on that. We never released the episode. It should have come out of your mouth oh first. Oh, my God. No, it's insane. I, was like, I was like trying to go through the books. How, no, how do we know? Listen, we need to attack Stephen a little bit more before we get okay. back. Stephen, <laughs> how, how did you not know earlier today that I was going to do this? why didn't you tell her? <laughs> the second... Shit. Here's what I love. You said it's a killer dentist... And then somebody got thrown into a well with dynamite. And I still was like, I don't know. This sounds familiar. It's now coming back to me. (laughs) I now vaguely remember you telling me this story. But why wouldn't I immediately be like... Because it's so... Being on stage, there's so much adrenaline. And then you go on and you leave. But this... 
this was for this was a St. Louis one. Yeah, okay. this is the first time we were in St. Louis. This is, Shit, but, but no one knows except for us, and now everybody's listening. <laughs> like this is fresh to them. Okay, great. And, and the people. Wait, do we? perform it in St. Louis, but just not release that episode? Yes. Right. Got it. So when we go to St. Louis in like three weeks, oh, they're, they're going to be mad at us. To say. <laughs> I, I got to bring it with a good one. Yeah. All right. That's fun though, because then they'll be like, I remember when this and that. Yeah. Don't do it in three years. We're creating memories. Let me tell you some brand new shit. Okay. <laughs> Please do. Fuck. <laughs> he blew up. But wait a second. We've been waiting for this moment. Yes, we like, have. We've been waiting for this moment. Either for us to do the same one, which is way less likely than for us to redo a fucking story. Yes. The amount of stories we've done live yeah. is vast it's and in- incredible. Expansive. It's it's almost like, hey, look, listen, <laughs> we're going to run out of murders one day. No, we're not. No, that's never going to happen. Uh, oh but I was God. like, this story is fascinating. How am I going to not do this? It's so good. Okay. Look, tell me what you remember from okay. this. I definitely remember the well with the dynamite. <laughs> the well and dynamite. How could you forget? <laughs> the death is real accidental. Uh, Dr. Glennon. Sorry, that alone. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ruled accidental. He fell into a well. After his head got hit. Full, filled with dynamite. Right. You know how you do sometimes at a racetrack. Yes. It happens. Yeah. It could be hot dogs. It could be dynamite. <laughs> this guy got unlucky. Do you want to get a stick of dynamite in a hot dog bun? Because there's yes. that. You could have that too. Is this fucking uh, Tom and Jerry or what? Wait, can I just say this? Sorry, this is a legit sidebar. Okay. But that last pretzel I ordered when we were on the road, <laughs> I just need to talk about it. Because I actually in text, Omaha, I texted Adrian because it was so good. In Omaha, you got a last pretzel. She, I ordered pretzel... And there was a sauce that was ch- Guinness cheese Dude, mustard sauce. Stop it. Did you take a shot of it? It was, yeah, I drank it. I chugged it and then just ate the pretzel afterwards. Oh. No, it was the most delicious thing. God bless pretzels. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Well, let me tell you about uh, Dr. Glennon. He collected an insurance settlement from his business partner because his business partner just accidentally died in a fucking well with dynamite. And he was somehow on the thing. Well, he was his business partner. So he collected uh, the money with his ex-girlfriend who happened to be Frey's widow. And he gave, uh, he gave her $25,000. She put 16,000 of that into the drag racing strip. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember this? I one? sure do. I'm gonna, this is just a reminder. <laughs> but it went bankrupt in 1964. Yep. Yeah. I, I like the idea that this is all a very like, this is what the pink ladies did after high school. Yeah. Is what it feels like to me. You can't. Don't trust dentists. I gotta. <laughs> I want to date a doctor or a dentist, but then I got to stay in the drag racing arena. It's still cool and hip. He wears a leather jacket. Yeah. Okay. A decade passes, as you know, from the research (laughs) you did for this story. I know nothing. Do you remember that he had a 24-year-old dental assistant named Carmen Miranda? I didn't remember that her name was her Carmen, name was Carmen Miranda. Miranda. They, the doctor is older, had known Carmen Miranda since she was a child. And she's like, look, doctor, I don't know what to do. I am having some financial difficulties. And he's like, here's an idea. Why don't you marry someone? Take out a life insurance policy on him and I'll kill him for you. 
And she's like, great, let's do it. Really? Uh-huh. Just right out there in the open. Not right, like right, but yeah. A slow that play, was the but point. eventually, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, but he, you know, he'd known her since she was a child. She's 24, he's older. He's probably manipulating her in a lot of ways. Um, and he said he knew it would work because he's done it before. Right. Remember, old fucking dynamite friend. Yeah, <laughs> it did work that it time. It did. So she agrees and they find a dude named Peter Holm and she marries him. And almost a year later, after they got married in September 5th, 1976, Miranda, Carmen Miranda, mm-hmm. lure, lure, lures Holm to a secluded location near Pacific, Missouri. And she stands next to him as fucking Engelman shoots him with a rifle in the fucking head. Whoa. And then she takes off running. How awful. So the grieving widow, Carmen Miranda, ends up with $75,000 in life insurance, and she pays around 10000 to her boss, Dr. Engelman. Wow. So, <laughs> do you remember any of this? No. <laughs> I'm shocked about the Carmen Miranda detail not sticking. Where in the world did that bit of information go? Um, I think it, it was replaced when I watched all of The Sopranos. Oh, right. Okay, good. So in 1977, this, um, Arthur, uh, Guzwell, he's 61 and his 55 year old wife, Vernita, they're, um, they have, uh, a, what seems like a breaking and entering burglary situation where they're, uh, shot and killed at their farmhouse near Edwardsville, Illinois. The cops think it's a home invasion robbery and their grieving son, Ronald, was the sole heir to their, to his parents' oil business and inherited a quarter of a million dollars. Okay. Which in 1977 money is $700,000. Great. I don't, oh, I don't know. <laughs> See, like, you tell me. It's probably a lot. Right? It's probably a ton, actually. Yeah. I would say it's two million. Two million. I bet I, it's two million. I bet that's a lot of money. Yeah. 17 months later, on March, in March 1979, when Ronald Goosewell was, he's shot and bludgeoned with a sledgehammer at his home. So he's the fucking heir to the fortune. And then and, he's killed. And then he's killed. His new wife, Barbara Goosewell Boyle, collects approximately $340,000 in life insurance. His body's found four days later after his murder in a car in an East St. Louis motel. <laughs> his body is, is it fa- a car motel no <laughs> his body is found four days uh, after his murder in a car at an east st louis motel and police go to his home to tell his grieving wife barbara and she is uh hosing out the garage which what later turns out to be blood quote everywhere oh no guess what she used to date doctor uh, our friend dr glennon wow yeah so the next victim is Sophie Marie Barrera. She's 59 years old. She owned a dental lab and she had done some work for Dr. Glennon and he owed her $14,500 and she was threatening to take him to court. So he did the rational thing and blew her fucking car up <laughs> while she was in it. That's right. <laughs> you remember that? Jesus. This thing is, a. this is a... If you made a TV movie of it, no one would watch it because it makes no soap. Oh, you want to bet? Oh, really? Oh, it crappens. <laughs> um, so in January of 1980, Sophie's car explodes and she starts it killing her. So police are like, all right, it's this fucking dude. But there was also a lot of mob activity going around then. So it kind of got lost in that. But police are connecting the dots. Um, and they were sure that Dr. Engelman was behind these killings. So uh, then his third wife, also named Ruth, comes forward and she's like, 
I'm a little freaked out because I've been hearing some rumors that he's trying to put a hit on me. And he, he told me some shit when, like, post-coital. And they were like, <laughs> great, will you wear a wire? And she was like, absolutely. So, uh, in 1984, she, she wears a wire. He can, he tells her everything. Don't do that. Yeah, really. So in 1984, uh, Barbara Boyle is charged with her husband's killing, the one who was the heir to the shit. <laughs> She's arrested. And um, a month later, Dr. Engelman is finally arrested as his Carmen Miranda and their two accomplices, who is Ma- Miranda's brother, Nick, and a man named Robert Handy. So Miranda testifies against Dr. Glennon in his trial for Ham- Holmes' murder, and that gets a guilty verdict and a 50-year sentence. And uh, later, his trial for Barrera's bombing uh, gets him life. So, uh, an attempt to bargain for leniency, the uh, the accomplice, Robert Handy, offers police details about the Goosewells murder. They're the home invasion robbery older couple. And so... He said that Engelman and Barbara Boyle, the wife of the son, had been lovers and they had targeted Ronald because of his money. So, like, she married him to kill his parents and him. God damn. Yeah. Um, I feel like that is, I'm remembering something about that the guy she married was kind of a bore. Or, like, there was, like, a little bit of, like, a thing about him where everyone yeah. was, like, you're marrying this guy. Probably. There was a little bit of that. Yeah. Could That could just be me judging him, though. <laughs> there was a lot. I mean, all these uh, marriages that ended in the husband being killed were, like, just a plainly for that. Yeah. So, it could have been anyone, just someone you can convince to marry you. Isn't dating hard enough without <laughs> thinking, what if someone's just setting me up for life insurance? Yes. Ugh. Another thing I have to worry about. I, th- I have a good relationship and every once in a while I'm like, did he put poison in this tea? You're like, wait a second. I just got a Geico update. Yeah. What are you doing? Why? I don't why? even drink tea. <laughs> Vince knows that. I don't like geckos. Why do we? <laughs> I don't like geckos. I don't like fucking chamomile. <laughs> Get this and shit I away from like me. I don't like being poisoned. And I for... don't like you killing me. So. For money. Great. You can kill me for passion reasons. That's <laughs> yeah. a compliment. Yeah. The money thing is cold. It really hurts my feelings. <laughs> so, da, 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 da. okay. In 1985, he, in order to strike a deal and avoid the death penalty, Dr. Ingeman pleads guilty to all three murders and is sentenced to three concurrent life sentences. When he confesses, he says, quote, I like to kill. It sets a man <laughs> apart from his fellow men if he can kill. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Being a good dentist sets you apart. Yeah. That's more so than killing people. How about you are a decent human being that doesn't fuck every woman that passes your dental practice? Don't fuck every woman. Don't fucking manipulate them into killing people. Don't, you don't need the money. That's what's so weird about it too is like everyone's like, he, he's not doing it for money because he has a successful practice. Yes. He's doing it because he's a fucking weirdo sports killer. Well, and also because he feels, I think it's actually kind of sad where he's like, this is what sets me apart yeah not my interesting hair or my brain killing people right not my interest in a cult and (laughs) blatant (laughs) anti-semitism killing people my anti-semitism isn't setting me apart the way i thought it would (laughs) i'm going to go ahead and go all the way into killing people i mean just change some crowns is that a thing i don't know (laughs) i think it is changing crowns. change them around change them up um, so as for Barbara, she's convicted of Ronald's murder, her heir to the throne husband. Right. Um, but with help from her attorney, 
F. Lee Bailey. Yeah, that Everyone's guy. favorite dick lick motherfucker. He's a super champion. He sure is. She's cleared of the murder of his parents. Wow. And she gets 50 years, but serves less than half that time and is freed in 2009 at the age of 67. And then she's like, I'm going to spend this money. Later days, motherfucker. She's like, give me that money. Give me I'm that gonna, money. Did she get any of it, I wonder? I bet she didn't. No, right. Because, yeah, yeah it's probably yeah. went to, like, a niece. Only fair. Yeah. Only fair. Like that a that poor and sweet niece who's like, okay. Okay, I guess I'll get all the roller skates I want. Yeah, then. and I'm going to I'm gonna sh- rescue kittens. Oh, <laughs> oh, She's such a good and then person. Then she wastes it all on cats. <laughs> hey. Just waste it. It's not a waste. <laughs> it's for a cat. Okay. Here we go. In 1996, a B movie called... The dentist, yes, was made that loosely ba- is loosely based on the case. Doctor Engelman is played by Corbin Burnson. Yes, okay, You're- we talked about this part. Okay, what? Tell me, because he's from L.A. Law. Yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, I was like, what is he from? And you're like, L.A. Law. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no. Shit. At this moment, right now, we could be dead, and this is just like life replaying itself in that weird way. I absolutely like, believe that. Yeah, and and I I went under. Uh, General, General anesthesia, anesthesia yesterday. Yes. Am I awake yet? Could be you're still sleeping. I don't know. And Are you, you awake? When you wake up, you're like, ugh, I dreamed that we recorded already. Now we haven't. Oh, shit. I should do the dentist, the killer dentist. No, I'm going to. Maybe you're still getting a massage. Oh, could you? It. Can I just say that I fell asleep? They said, <sighs> she was like, all right, Karen, get up when you want to. You know, they, yeah, like, get the fuck when out it's of over. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And then I just put my face back in the ring and went back to sleep for I don't know how long. <laughs> They let me stay in there. I mean, it wasn't that long, That's but I amazing. mean, I was out, like had a short dream and then was like, whoa, whoa, I'm still here. I woke myself up with a loud snore on the plane <laughs> right home from Omaha. <laughs> a snort. I didn't hear it. You didn't? Because I was, I had my eye mask on and I went literally. <laughs> <laughs> and then I immediately started cracking up. I went. <laughs> It was like so insane. I missed that. I mi- well, I had my earplugs in though, too. and it wasn't that loud then. But yeah. I absolutely, <laughs> I did that, and then just started laughing. Yes, we're doing great. We're doing it, and we're still doing it. Hey, let's talk about two years later from the dentist, and talk about the dentist too. Oh, brace yourself. Oh, we have talked about this. Let, <laughs> let's talk about it again. What did we say? Well, just I just remembered that there was a sequel. Oh, how do I not remember this? Was I drinking? Uh, uh, no, I think it was just that we've done this a lot. <laughs> okay, let me... <laughs> well, here's something new. So I went to my, the My Favorite Murder Gmail to look for hometowns, and uh, Amy... Um, said, in the 70s, my dad had a plant store in the then dodgy part of St. Louis called Compton Heights. He was, parentheses, is a big old stoner. <laughs> so he spent a lot of time smoking outside the shop, which is how he became acquainted with the dentist who owned the shop next door. Oh. Also possibly why his shop didn't last long, but I digress. <laughs> At the time, the dentist, Glennon Engelman, uh, had an assistant named, I shit you not, Carmen Miranda, mm. who had married an older guy who shortly thereafter after wound up shot in the back of the head after having recently taken out a very high insurance policy at Miranda's suggestion. My dad says Engelman was the most terrifying person he'd ever met. From the time he'd come flying into my dad's shop in a rage, literally foaming at the mouth, shouting about whatever. Super scary dude. Um, And then... 
Then Kevin said, my mom grew up in South St. Louis County. My mom and her sister began working from an early age to help make ends meet. My mom landed a job as a hostess at a South County restaurant that had many loyal customers who ate there daily and knew the workers pretty well. She still gets recognized today by folks who went there in the 80s. One of these regular customers was a local dentist who was charismatic, but odd. (laughs) He once lectured my mom about respecting the history of coins. (laughs) (laughs) Then Kevin wrote, strike one. And was generally a difficult person to serve. Strike two and three. Yes, I bet. Yeah. He gave off a typical eclectic rich man vibe. So most servers, hosts will know the type of guy we're dealing with here. One day, this dentist came into the restaurant, saw my mom, the hostess, puffy faced and crying. He asked her why she was so upset. And she told him that she was worried about her mother after a car exploded that day near the Southside National Bank, where she worked as a housekeeper. Mm. It was the 80s. There was a spike of mob crime, blah, 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 blah. Um, the dentist told her that her mom should be safe because the car wasn't close enough to do any real damage to the bank. He then reassured her that everything was okay, ate his meal, and went his way. My mom later found out from the local news that the man in the restaurant, Dr. Glennon Engelman, was a dentist by day and a hitman serial killer by night. <laughs> so basically, uh, my mother was consoled about the car explosion by the very serial killer who rigged the car to blow up in the first place. Holy shit. So he walks in, she's crying, and he's like, your mom's fine. <laughs> no, don't worry about she it. She wasn't the target. Yeah, no. Don't worry about it at all. Um, okay, so... Uh, Dr. Engelman was 71 when he died of complications to die in, with diabetes in 1999 at the Jefferson City Correctional Center, as you know, since you've Yo, yeah, researched I mean, That's this. the part that stayed with me most. <laughs> he had uh, been diagnosed as a sociopath while locked up, and it was reported that his IQ was near 140, Ooh. which is high. Um <laughs> He showed no remorse for anything. Of course not. His killing spree lasted for 30 years from 1958 to 1980. And altogether, he's suspected in 12 killings. Jesus. But if it hadn't been for his brave third ex-wife, Ruth Jolly, <laughs> with whom he had a son, mm-hmm. it could have been many fucking more. That's right. And that is the second time we are telling <laughs> the story of Glennon Engelman, the killer dentist. Second time, but only first uh, right. on wide scale. Right. For First time was a select audience. We did a test audience That's right. in St. Louis. We tested it. They were like, it's fine. <laughs> we're not going to remember it. It's not. Nobody's marking down any of these moments. Wait, there's canned wine for sale in the lobby. Let's let's party. Let's get another canned wine. We've been pre-gaming with the Murderinos. We raised money. Like Let's game. Then let's post game. That's right. Let's do. Let's drink the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was great. Thank you. I'd love to go back to the part about falling into a well filled with TNT. The the part is don't do it. Yeah, do your best not to. But if someone hits you in the head with a rock, what are you going to do? You got to do what you got to do. Fucking dentist, man. You said it. Don't go back to your dentist. No, do it. And then all my teeth just start falling out slowly (laughs) as we talk. Why do you have children's toenails in your mouth instead of teeth? Is that the new thing? Children's toenails. I don't know why. Clear? Is it what you think of when you look at my teeth? No. Oh, that's like a diseased child's foot. It's like the thing that's closest, but like clearly not. And you're like, why does that look? Oh, Oh, God. No. No. It's child toes and an adult mouth. (laughs) That's awful. That's, uh, we got to tell Guillermo del Toro about that idea. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Fucking hooray. Yeah. My fucking hooray is that. Then it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a fucking hooray? Um, I may have mistakenly done my fucking hooray of talking about my two hour massage at the top, but you know what it is? Here's what my fucking hooray will be. First of all, 
and this is going to sound super corny and cheesy, but we had in that last weekend of shows, the most fun talking to people at the meet and greets to the point where a couple times Vince had to say, Hey, look, the line, we still have a whole line of people. You guys have to move it along yeah. because we love the conversations that we have with people and talking to people and like, and just like connecting with people. So we oftentimes will complain about like being tired or complain like that we're doing a bunch of stuff. But to me, I would say my fucking hurry is those people, people that come and say hi or that, you know, that are at the meet and greet mm-hmm. that come around that corner and they tell us really private things or, uh, or they just tell us, what about those women who were like, we all met at the Chicago show yeah. at the Red Vic? Like it, three because, years prior. Yeah. They were standing in line by each other to get into the Chicago show. They're still friends to this yeah. day. What was that at the Kansas City show? I yeah. think they showed up as a foursome going, we met in line yeah. and now we're all still great friends. Like we have these kind of peak experiences that we're having so many of them. It's hard to appreciate them. Sort of uh, process right now. Yes. Because we're in the middle of it and we can't stop. We have to keep going forward. Yes. And if we think about it too much, it's oh, it's a lot. It's a lot. To process. But it's a series of Grandma Cheryl's and it's a series <laughs> of the women from the Chicago who met in line at Chicago and are still friends to this day. And the women who come and the women who come by themselves to the live shows. Yes. Can I I'm gonna jump on your Do it bandwagon because Get into it. I I was thinking about it recently about how hard twenty seven was for me and twenty eight and twenty nine uh. and thirty and thirty one. And, <laughs> <laughs> and how it took me a while and I didn't you know, I didn't have a lot of friends and you kind of like you need these a community and you don't have one. I was like post breakup and shit. And uh and it's the Murderino community is this community that I wish I had had then. Yeah. And instead of being bummed about not having that, I'm just so happy that we've made this and they've made this thing that they can have now. And yeah. I, I think, I mean, I would have benefited so much from it. And so I'm benefiting in a different way, but I'm yeah. just so happy it exists. It's amazing. And to kind of see it in real life, like that's all it sounds. It's stuff that like you can't, believe until someone's telling you to your face yeah. um our friend that we saw in omaha who the first time we met her was in a meet and greet and she was about to get bra- the first of many brain surgeries yeah. and when we met her she was at the beginning of that road and we just saw her again in omaha and she looked like a different person yeah and she was like i got a couple more left but i'm doing great and like i was just laying there listening to you guys like we get to hear stories like that that are genuinely um amazing uh, huge compliments but like it's just big stuff yeah and it it there's a bunch of them in a row and then we all go home and go to sleep yeah. and then complain about being tired when really what we want to do is tell you every single one of these stories yeah. because they're each one is is amazing and if we really processed it we would just be bawling the whole time because it's huge it's incredible it's unexpected as fuck and it's incredible like we're so grateful yeah we can't believe this is our lives i know and each one is even like when people go come up and go i don't know what to say to you and i didn't bring you anything and we're like (laughs) we know we get it we love it and we take a picture and then they walk away it's equally as exciting for us because we can't believe that we get to even have a meeting yeah so yeah i guess our we get to share a fucking hooray which is fucking hooray for um the audience that listens to this show and decides to participate so much with us and with each other yeah yeah it's beautiful we're happy to be part of it yeah 
Thanks, you guys. Thanks, you guys. Um, thanks for that special episode. I <laughs> 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 What a mess. <laughs> what a gorgeous disaster. What a glorious <laughs> mess we've made of ourselves. Oh, I love it. Love it. Stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Elvis, you want a cookie? <laughs>